I know God. I love me some Jesus. <laughs> Too much. That's crazy. <laughs> That's on the next episode. It's the moon reading. I rock with you, Yaya. It's all love. They better listen to this advice. We good. You crazy, girl. This is what this show is about, all right? We With keep the it real. real and real talk. The God in God talk. And that's a wrap. All right, y'all. Today is Tuesday, October 1st, and you're listening to Real Talk on God Talk, a podcast for people who skip church for brunch on Sundays. Hey, what's good, Yaya? Hey, Truth. I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, last y'all, re- like, y'all really heard from us. Yeah. We were lost and confused. You know, we had just graduated. Jobless. Yo. <laughs> it was intense, it but was. um, I've been thinking a lot about, like, how do I recognize when my prayers have been answered? Mm, I you know? like that, yeah. Like, I was so, I was just out of it. Like, I yeah. didn't feel like myself. I'm just so concerned about what my next step in life would be after graduation. And yeah. everything was up in the air. I could not see a solution to any of my problems. But fast forward, like, what, three months later, four months later, yeah. it's like... Thank God I'm gainfully employed. I, right. had, I moved to a new city, you know, with my husband. Yeah. It's it's like things have been coming together. And it's still easy to complain about things. It's still easy to be like, oh, I don't feel like waking up for work tomorrow morning, <laughs> you know, whatever. But when it comes down to it, I can truly say like, yeah, open your eyes and see the blessings that come down and when you're in the midst of going through it you know Mm -hmm. it you're just like yo I don't know how I'm about to pay my bills I don't know how XYZ is gonna happen just know that there is something on the other side absolutely like you you might not be able to see it right now but as long as you are it sounds so cliche as long as you're still alive (laughs) but you know like you're alive you can only meet the next moment as it comes to you and it's possible that three months later you'll be looking back and saying, you know, thank you, God, for answering my prayers. Because that's how I feel right now. So. Yeah, and it was definitely, I think, I think I was in awe when I was in D.C. for the the live episode because it, I was just struck by how this tiny idea that was, like, in paper at one point turned into, like, us actually doing a live episode in this, like, big venue. National conference. You know? Yeah. And just with, like, the names that were there. It was it was just amazing. It was like, wow, like, definitely God, like, showed up, showed out, and went above anything I've I ever even thought or, or think, mm-hmm. like, um thought that Real Talk on God Talk would be able to do. Like, I feel like it, it, it just didn't ever occur to me for us to be in that type of venue. And when we were there, it felt so comfortable. It felt like, wow. So, yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that of just, like, thanking God for your blessings because, you know, when they come raining down, it's just always above what you above and beyond of what you can even imagine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, day by day, that's it. That's a fact. Yeah. All right, so uh, let's get into a rundown of what you can expect for this week. For this week's Real Talk segment, we will be speaking with Sarah Kay, who is a writer, community engagement coordinator, and self-proclaimed fat woman. Her work joins the field of fat studies and social ethics with theologies of the body. And in her most recent project, she asks, what if the fat body was viewed as a site of divine revelation? What might spirit be speaking through my rolls and dimples? What if the jiggle of my belly and thighs were my anointing and not my shame? Mm. And we'll end the episode taking you through Keeping Time and the Moon Reading with Yaya. In October, Yaya will be giving you tips for ways to take advantage of the back-to-back meteor showers that end in a full moon on October 13th. All right, so we've got Curvy, Big Boned, Chubby, BBW, Fupas, Love Handles, Chunky, Plus Size, Thicker Than a Snicker. Mm. All words describe women and women's bodies instead of the F word, fat. In Tempo, a recently released song by Lizzo and Missy Elliott, the pair sings, and I quote, slow songs, they for skinny hoes, can't move all this hair, to get one of those. I'm a thick bitch. I need tempo. F it up, F it up. Get the tempo. Pity 
pat, pat, pity, pity, pat, pat. Look at my ass. It's fitty, fitty, fat, fat. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it seems that right now, at least, fat is in. Hashtag fat girl fall. Calvin Klein even recently rebranded their ad campaigns with hashtag in my Calvins, which sponsored billboards using lar- larger than life images of um, rapper Chica, plus size model Beth Ditto, proudly sporting their Calvins, belly out, rolls out and all. But the question is, how do these wonderful and affirming media image about self-acceptance measure up to the ways that we as a society engage with fatness in real life? And what does how we treat fatness and fat people clue us into about the things we believe about God? Facts. Well, you know, we actually have a special guest here to talk about these questions and much more. We are so excited to introduce friend of the show, Sarah Kay. Sarah holds a master in biblical languages and an MDiv with a concentration in social ethics. Her thesis and ongoing writing projects work to integrate the field of fat studies with theologies of the body and liberation and ask the question, what if the fat body was viewed as a site of divine revelation? What might spirit be speaking through my rolls and dimples? What if the jiggle of my belly and thighs were my anointing and not my shame? Woo! I hit up, You right? know? <laughs> so... Uh, before we get into everything that we want to get into, Sarah, could you introduce yourself for the people of Real Talk on God Talk? Yes, thank you so much for having me. And uh, first of all, I'd love to say thank you so much for starting us out with Lizzo. I um, I'm just delighted by that. But yes, hello, everyone. Just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know. So um, I am originally from Massachusetts, just moved back home after finishing up my MDiv at Union Theological Seminary. I am working at a church right now, just got started at this new job um, in community engagement and uh, adult religious programming. Okay, very, very nice. Okay, um, so just to give a little background about your relationship with God, religion, you know, we, we always have these questions. Our last episode was about, do you consider yourself spiritual but not religious? And so what do you label yourself? How, one, what do you label yourself if you have a label? And then two, uh, could you tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you grow up in terms of religion and spirituality? So like every morning for the first 10 years of my education, I would say the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag, the Christian flag, and the Bible. Well, time out. There's a Christian flag? Yes, there's a Christian flag. <laughs> yeah. so with, wait, with the Christian, yeah. like, pledge? Yeah, so there's a Christian pledge, and there's um, also a pledge to the Bible, and we said that every morning as a school, like, uh, school-wide, so... Sarah, you are teaching us today. Yo. You learn something new <laughs> every, every day. day. Okay. I yeah. got to find out about this Christian pledge. Nobody ever put me on. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it was It was a very community-oriented, like you're in this bubble, and if you're in this Christian world, then you're part of this community, and there's a lot of love there, but it's also very isolationist, right? So you're, if you're one of us, there's a standard to be one of us. And if you're not meeting that standard, then you're not one of us. Mm. I don't think I really realized fully at the time the impact of all of those uh, teachings and things on me. Not until I became um, a teacher myself. I went and became a missionary teacher, youth pastor for five years. And I like to say it was kind of like the best time of my life and the worst time of my life at the same time. Um, <laughs> you know, there are so many people that I had amazing relationships with that I Uh, cherished to this day and also it really was a time that confronted me with the pain that um, was being inflicted through a lot of the teachings that my faith community had passed on to me and that then I was passing on to others and so that kind of sparked this uh, season of questioning and transformation that I went on really for the last five years I would still consider myself spiritual and I would consider myself religious. I, I am yearning for relationship with spirit. I am yearning for relationship with others in community and trying to figure out how to continue to 
live into that, that yearning as I move forward. I still consider myself a Christian mm-hmm. um, because the core of Christianity that I still have held on to, that the piece that has been the core for me, still resonates with me and still, still holds something for me. Um, but I am in the process of expanding what that means. So it's not really just one thing, I guess I'm I'm adding and expanding my spirituality to encompass more and more. And I hope to continue to do that. I hope to continue to learn and grow and not just stay where I'm at. Faith is ever moving and changing. And so I think being comfortable with that has been the lesson of the last five years for me. Okay, cool. And, and you are definitely expanding and growing in that. Right. And, um, as we see in like the your thesis research and what's the premise of your research of theology of fat liberation? Like what does fatness even have to do with, with religion or spirituality in, in your opinion? Yeah. Well, that's a fantastic question. This project of mine, I think over the course of the last five years, I had been going on this personal journey of renouncing the war with my body that I had, I had entered into at the age of 10 when I did my first diet, you know? And, um, you know, I've been trying to lose weight since I was a child and about maybe four or five years ago, I just had reached a point in my relationship with my body that I realized this war is never going to end because no matter how much I succeed in the short term, quote unquote, succeed it, doesn't, it's not sustainable and it's not doing good for myself. I'm not doing anything good for myself and my mental health if I continue this war. And through that realization and seeking out other fat people that were kind of in that same place of wanting to accept their bodies, I discovered the world of fat studies and fat liberation. And this was all going on as I was also expanding my theology of of what Christianity is and not being about this kind of life after death salvation, but about liberation and bringing the kingdom of God to bear here on earth right now. And so as I was looking at what that project of liberation was entailing in my Christian faith and looking at what this project of liberation is in the world of fat studies and fat liberation, I thought, well, where is the integration of the two? Because right. there, there are so many places where fat hatred integrates with other forms of oppression. And, you know, we'll, we'll get a chance to expound on this even more later, but anti-fatness is a direct result of anti-blackness. It is a a tool of this white supremacist patriarchal capitalist economy in which we now live that was designed to reinforce this hierarchy of, of bodies that had race at the center of it. And so in recognizing that through my research, I recognized, well, you know, if we're talking about the liberation of bodies as being, um, central to our to our understanding of faith and theology and religion if this is the approach that we're taking to our to our faith that faith is about spirit working towards justice in and through us then where is that being done for fat people uh, of all different identities and, and marginalized communities as well as someone that still does identify as christian incarnation is so central to my faith this is Christianity is a religion of incarnation and for a religion that is all about God taking on flesh to then, I mean, the first people that taught me to hate my body were Christians Mm. to, to have as so integral to um, the way we treat people's bodies, this hatred in a community that is supposedly about, in all about incarnation just seems to really conflict. And, and I, I felt that, well, what if instead of first, at first I, it was a project of saying, you know, let me dismantle all the ways in which religion has produced this anti-fatness. And then the next step was, well, what kinds of tools could a fat positive theology offer to fat people um, for our ongoing work of liberation as as a whole community and creation. 
Okay, okay. So we have a lot of listeners who are, you know, well-versed in theology, kind of understand where you're going in terms of um, Christianity being a religion of incarnation. Um, but can you kind of break down, just in, in the most basic terms, how do we see the body in Christianity and, I guess, body size in Christianity. Yeah, like, like how does, like, yeah, uh, like, I guess, like, body size. Like, how does that... <laughs> actually, so that's the first time that I ever heard of body size, like, mattering in incarnation. Uh, like, the way you explained it. So, yeah, if you, like, just in the most basic terms of, of like, what that... What that all, means, what yeah. that What that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so the process that I went through in thinking this through was... Um, to first think about what it meant for if we are if we are speaking about Jesus of Nazareth as being God with us, that the that the divine took on human flesh. Um, what did it mean for um, the divine to show up in? that specific body because there's specificity there because the divine could have shown up in any kind of body. Mm. What did it mean in that time for the, for the divine to show up in, in that body, the body of a colonized man, um, someone who was poor, someone who was low down on the hierarchy of bodies in a Roman empire's uh, perspective Right. He wasn't a citizen, you know, um, he was from the outskirts, the margins of this empire. Um, and God showed up there. And what does that say? And so I was, you know, looking at um, Ebony Marshall Thurman's um, uh, incarnation of womanist ethic. I, I, I think I'm saying the name of the, the book wrong, perhaps I need to double check on the title, but I was, you know, I was reading about womanist incarnation. I was uh, reading from Laurel Schneider, um, and she has this chapter called Promiscuous Incarnation. So, and, and in these texts, they were talking about, well, what does it mean for the divine to show up in this kind of body? And so then my, I, I followed up on that saying, well, what would it mean for the divine to be incarnate in other kinds of bodies that disrupt hierarchy? Because for God to be incarnate in Jesus, that is a disruption of this ancient hierarchy of bodies and what is the hierarchy of what bodies matter today in our world um, and what bodies are seen to not matter and mm -hmm. to think about God being incarnate in my fatness that is um, when I say God is alive in my fatness when I say God is the spirit is moving when when my belly is jiggling that that strikes a chord, I think, in a way that might have been similar to the kind of chord that would have been struck in the mind of a you know, wealthy Roman citizen to think that God would have shown up in the outskirts of their empire and, and a Jewish Palestinian man, you know, that has been colonized by their empire. I think that that is a, a, an analogy that is worth exploring. And I think it could give a resource to fat people to say, you know what, the very flesh that has been despised by this world is the actual source of my divine knowing that I can know God in my body as a fat person. I think there's power for change in thinking about our bodies in that way. Okay, cool. Thank you for clarifying that. So, um, so then let's talk about the word fat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so sometimes it, it can make people uncomfortable like that. That's just it. And so, yeah. So I got to be honest. Right. So when you said, what does it mean for God to kind of like be moving through the jiggle of my fatness? Yeah. I was like, God moving in your fatness. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, you know, I, like I just got to be honest. Right. And so to kind of follow up on Truth's question, it's like. <laughs> Even when I hear the word fat, sometimes it yeah. just makes me, like, cringe. Like, oh, I don't want to call someone fat. I don't want to yeah. hurt their feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, why, one, you consider yourself fat? That's the first question. And then, two, mm -hmm. why fat and not 
another like word. Plus that. Plus Because I'll say, I'll say this too, Sarah. Even in um, even as a Latina, when we talk like in Spanish, like my mom, my sisters, and stuff, uh, it's it's funny because when when we don't want to like if someone is fat in Spanish, we don't want to call them gordo. They'll be like, you know, they uh. Tan redondito, which is like you know they're they're round, yeah. Know? But like you you try to we try to cover it up, right? And saying in a, in a more endearing term because right. I guess fat has been you know such a like a word that you don't say or like you just taboo. say it. Yeah, yeah, you say it taboo. to offend, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. I mean, I would never want to um, imply that someone needs to use a certain word for their body or identify in a certain way because of how they look, you know, that's a very personal thing for someone to, to kind of take on that term as something that they use for themselves. And so for whatever, however you want to describe your own body, I say, you know, find the the place in the word that you can use that feels the most at home and um, connects to who you are and empowers you and connects you to your body. Um, For me, Uh, I choose to use the word fat. I identify as a fat woman in keeping with this very long legacy of fat scholars and activists and and people that have been reclaiming this word. And I think the reason why this has been happening exactly because, I mean, of what you, what you described that, that twinge that you feel when, you know, you, you like hear the word fat. Why is that? Because because we've been socialized to have a negative association with that word. Um, We've been socialized to think that there is something inherently wrong with being fat. And that's something that that I should be embarrassed about. And so for me to proudly identify as fat, it's shocking because it's something that I'm supposed to be ashamed of. It's something that I'm supposed to, you know, kind of try and hide in all kinds of different ways or change run from. Yeah, exactly. And so my, my intention is to move towards this identity, move towards to use this word in a, in a reclaiming way as a source of power and uh, just recognizing the spirit at work in that, in, in my body, um, it challenges something when you say the word instead of having to cower around it. Um, as if there's something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, okay, personally for you, when did you become aware of your body as fat? You had mentioned dieting when you were 10. And, you know, similarly, I think as a woman in this culture, particularly yeah. as a woman, I think all all people get the, get the pressure about body and body size. Um, but as a woman, it it can come very early in just signals of how you see yourself. You know, is your mom constantly weighing herself, even if she's not saying anything to you about it per se? Like, I know I've always struggled with, oh, you know, so-and-so, if if some of my cousins are thinner than me and I want to be like my big cousins, it's like, oh, why can't I look like this? Right, right. So it's like, for you, when did you become aware of your body as fat and when did you become aware that that like meant something to other people that either being fat or not fat big or not big actually like held some meaning right well I look back and I think about second and third grade and I think that that's probably around where when my body started changing um you know I was a very you know thin child up to that point and then first you know my body went through this transition starting, I think, yeah, seven, uh, when I was seven and eight. And I don't think I really recognized it at first. Um, I was still in taking dance classes. I, you know, loved my body. I loved to run. I loved to climb trees. I loved to be active. I, you know, did a soccer camp and I was doing all these different things. And I think slowly there was just a, I don't know what it was that happened first, you know, but all around the same time, I started getting messages from all different directions about the way my body was changing, whether it be from family or friends, making comments that were 
either innocent or like they thought they were innocent or speak um, on that those 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 uh unsolicited <laughs> comments from yeah. family and yeah. friends, you little like, chubby little yeah. chubby chasers yeah. <laughs> like yeah. come on exactly and um you know and then friends and you know then like I said I was I was dancing and so you know I would have to order a leotard for the dance recital and it was always this like oh there's so much bigger than you know, ours and um, comments when I would put on the leotard and when my body would be on display um, and the way my body would move that was different from the other thinner girls in the dance class. Um, Messages coming from, you know, the doctor that started very young talking about how I needed to watch my weight. Um, Then of course, you know, school and in this context that I was in, in a Christian school, like we said um, earlier, it was a very conservative and and modest, quote unquote, modest kind of community. Um, And so it was also Pentecostal though. And so what that means for a Pentecostal church is that it's extremely enthusiastic and exuberant in worship. And so when we would be singing in chapel, there would be a lot of clapping and raising hands and jumping and dancing. Dancing was okay if you were in chapel. Um, but I remember as I started, my body started to change. There was a message that was coming both publicly and privately that, you know, you got to be careful. You can't, you can't jump that way because your body is distracting. Um, the jiggle became uh, something that set me apart from the other thin girls um, that were up on the platform leading worship, my jiggle was something that needed to be hidden. And, um, you know, I took that message in. It was something that was a sign of a lack of modesty. Um, and it was also a sign of a lack of femininity. There's this very gendered way that this works in, in white evangelicalism. It's very, it's connected to this cult of true white womanhood that Patricia Hill Collins talks about. It's that if you're a real woman, a real feminine woman, is a value of white womanhood is thinness mm. and propriety wow. and, and cleanliness and um, just control. Right. And so when my body was not behaving in that way, it's kind of this unspoken betrayal of what it means to be a woman. Because I remember even I was growing up in this context where, you know, we'd always have these guest preachers come in. And this happened in Bible college as well. These guest preachers would come in. They're always inevitably male. And they, you know, point out their smoking hot wife. They ask their smoking hot wife to stand up. You know, I've heard that so many times. Right. I've always heard that. Like when I see them like on YouTube and stuff, it that's like the first thing they say. And it's always, it's exactly what you're describing. It's like a very cookie cutter, very thin, petite, yeah. you know, yeah. white, white woman. That is Even a that, cringy. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yes. So, you know, this is what the standard is being upheld, whether it's conscious or not, you know, of this is what a smoking hot wife looks like in order to be the be the woman that God is wanting me to be for my future husband. This is the standard that I got to look like in order for me to worship the way that I'm supposed to worship. This is the standard that I got to look like in order to express myself in spiritual movement. It has to, I can't, my body is keeping me from being able to do that. Those were kind of the earliest messages um, that I received, you know, in addition to just what's going on in the media and the larger world around me, you know, I'm seeing these movies and it's always, you know, I'm watching Disney movies. I'm watching, you know, whatever is available that I was allowed to watch because it was limited, but the star, the, the leading woman is always very thin, you know, thin white woman. And um, so this is this idealized um, virtuous woman that I clearly I'm wearing my sin on my body is the other thing. I'm wearing my betrayal of that standard on my body. Um, you always talk there. They always talk about in church, Sin is a big theme, right? And so, you know, one thing that always gets mentioned is gluttony. And so whenever that's talked about, it's this like one of those sins that you walk in the church and if the pastor's talking about it, because of this cultural association between overeating and fatness, which is wrong to begin with, but because of that cultural association, there is a sense that 
I'm wearing on my body my betrayal of that standard. I'm wearing my sinfulness visibly. So I think that those were the spaces where it really became apparent to me that my body was viewed differently. Mm. So you said a bunch of things, like you said so many things that I just want to ask more (laughs) questions about and know more about, but one of, okay, so moment of transparency, and I'm happy that you, that you brought it up and you brought it to the table. Let's, let's put race out there front and center, right? So Sarah is a white woman, Mm. um, and in some of the things that she talked about, she talked about like, what is it like to wear your sin on your body? Right. You know, you can see if someone is big or someone is quote unquote fat, you can see it. And so Mm -hmm. when, when the pastor's talking about gluttony, all eyes on, you know, the person who's big. Or the fat people. And so my question (laughs) is, you had mentioned earlier the relationship between anti-fatness and anti-blackness and capitalism. Mm -hmm. And can you like unpack that a little bit more? Cause I'm, I'm just very curious. Um, so this is completely not PC, but y'all, mm-hmm. y'all my family real yeah, talk. Exactly. And so like me and my friends, we were talking, we were actually talking about, you know, being big or being big girls. Yeah. And something that one of my friends said that I thought was so funny was that like, yo, black people be mean if you big, but white <laughs> people be really mean. Yeah. Like it's well, like if you're a, a white girl and fat, it's just like there's like a, a um and in my experience, I feel like there's like a shunning that yeah. happens where I think even in like the Latinx community, it's, it doesn't really happen. Like well, you'll you'll get a nickname like gordita right. or gordito, like, right? Yeah, like, yeah, so, like but you, not, you'll always be that. It's not so like you like your fatness is a quality that somehow makes you bad or you know yeah i felt like when sarah when when like you were describing it it was kind of like if you're not the smoking hot wife then like you've lost kind of like your sex appeal yeah like all like your whole sexuality is just like oh you're nothing you you know so so super interesting like my mind is blown right now (laughs) and so if you if you can talk a little bit more about the relationship between you know race anti-fatness anti-blackness Capitalism and also your your own experience, if you'd like to. Yeah, I know that was a lot, but <laughs> yeah. take it no, in and whatever comes out comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's no, it's really a lot, and it's a, a very important because um, unfortunately, what's happened a lot in like the body positivity movement or fat positivity movement is it gets to the point where a lot of times white women, cis white women, are are centered and. Um, that really erases this long, long legacy of where anti-fatness actually comes from and how it disproportionately harms people of color, women of color especially. And um, the reason for that is you can take it back and I'm really relying on a lot of like fat activists and scholars for this information. Um, Whenever this whole European colonization of Africa started you know they sent in these colonizers these quote-unquote explorers to go in and basically you know let's go in and tell tell the rest of Europe about these communities one of the features of those those diaries of those colonizers was there's a constant comment on the size of the women there's a lot of language around how grotesque and it's all very very violent very violent language that's coming up in these travel diaries. Black women were taken from Africa and brought to Europe to be used as shows for Europeans to see. And like Venus, uh, like Venus hot, hot and top. Yeah. Sorry if I got the name wrong, but yeah. Yes. Often what was centered in those violent acts was the fatness of their various body parts to the point where the woman that you were just mentioning, she, after her death, a scientist in Paris made a body cast of her body in order to continue to use her fatness as um, scientific research. Wow. Um, And this was happening, you know, throughout that time period. And a lot of what starts to come up in Europe at that time is promotions for weight loss, different weight loss products. So that obsession in this white European obsession with trying to attain thinness and maintain thinness developed at the same time as the colonization of Africa because of this 
narrative that fatness is a sign of quote unquote uncivilized communities and we as civilized Europeans must maintain our higher standing to where if you were a fat white woman, you were betraying your civilization, you were betraying your whiteness because it was seen as you're getting sloppy, you're getting lazy, you're dirty. Um, hypersexuality and an insatiable appetite, all things that were attributed and ascribed in this violent way to blackness happened at, alongside fatness because of the ways in which they were looking, basically they were looking for any kind of physical delineation in order to reinforce their white supremacy, right? And so whenever there was a fat black woman, that was, a, that the rationale for that was because, oh, this is because of this lesser community. And so anti-fatness evolved as a rationale to reinforce whiteness as superior to blackness. Now, centuries later, it's evolved in all these different ways, but that's the root of it. And I think that that's very important to name as what, where is this anti-fatness coming from? It's coming from this history, this legacy of violence towards people of color and specifically black people. Um, and specifically black women, to where today the effects of that racist anti-fatness, we know about the high rates of black maternal mortality, right? Um, we know about the medical discrimination that goes on towards against black women. We know about um, all these different ways in which people are discriminated against in our white supremacist, capitalist, imperialist culture. And fatness becomes one of the markers that gets you, that, that invokes this discrimination to where people of color, especially black women are less heard, less listened to. And fatness is one of those markers that that does happen um, to people that are fat people and particularly fat women of color um, that face disordinate uh, amounts of discrimination because of that. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that, that was clear, but yeah, yeah, no, it was, and and I think you're you're absolutely right with your last statement. My mom and I talk about this all the time. We're like, if you go to the doctor, they'll blame any little thing if you're overweight. It's like you know, my toe hurts because you overweight. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like yep. I have a, a pain in my chest because you overweight. Everything will yep. be that before they actually like try check and check it out. Yeah, and check it out and see what's what may actually be going on. And so like now. Um, I think I think you know over the years, but I think more especially now we see a lot of like body positivity. So now we're seeing like plus size models in the media, especially like on TV. On it, it's like um it's more in your face than it definitely was when uh, you know I was growing up. So you know what what does body positive mean to you, and and what does it look like for us as individuals to perpetuate it um, in everyday life? Like, do you think uh, body posi positivity? relates to your understanding of God or your understanding of spirituality? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I am specific in the terms that I use for myself in terms of being, this is a fat positive theology that I am developing. Mm -hmm. um, generally because a lot of the body positive movement that has developed and it's a lot of great things have come from it. There's a lot of wonderful representation that has started, like you're saying, more than ever before that's happening. Yeah. And um, at the same time, a lot of the narrative of body positivity has co-opted the narrative of early fat liberationist um, activists and really ended up erasing the need for justice for fat people as a result. So it kind of becomes this watered down, whitewashed, um, well, just love yourself that really, you know, doesn't take into account the political nature of um, being a fat person in an mm. anti-fat culture. Um, and so I really want to be specific when I talk about body positivity, I'll still use the term, but I want to make sure I clarify that it's not just about making sure size 14 white women feel good about their bodies, which I want them to feel good about their bodies. Mm -hmm. It's about addressing the structural uh, inequality that results in um, oppressions of fat people of all different kinds of identities. So like fat trans people in order to get gender affirming surgery, oftentimes are required to lose weight before they can get their surgery, you know? 
fat people are often denied um, promotions or are fired because of their bodies. And there is no law from in most of the country against firing someone because of their fatness. Um, I did not fat know people that. Are, yeah. For some yeah, reason, it never I mean, struck me as something. Yeah. And the, I mean, the rationale is it's because you can control it. You can fix it. So it's not considered to be discrimination because it's attributed to the behavior of the employee rather than, um, you know, this being discrimination against a certain kind of body. Um, you know, fat people are like you were saying, medical discrimination. It's so many, uh, fat people go untested for all kinds of important things and end up dying, not as a result of their fatness, but because the doctors didn't believe them when they said, mm-hmm. Hey, I have a pain here. Can you check it out? It turns out they have a tumor. You know, this is a societal problem that compounds when you have all up, when you're also part of other kinds of other marginalized communities. And by just calling it body positivity, it is, I find a little, it's dangerous um, because it can result in ignoring the political and social fight that is on our hands to say we need to be intentionally, specifically fat positive and dismantle the oppressions that have um, been put on fat people. Yeah, so like every question so much there's like so much so much i keep hearing a thread between the relationship between fatness and the medical community right, right. and so like even like in our families if i'm gaining weight or in my family if i'm gaining weight it'll it'll be like oh you're getting big i just want to make sure that you know you're, you're okay. healthy and you know right. the the health concerns are you eating out too much right <laughs> like yeah. oh you know you can get you know we have a history of high blood pressure and hypertension right. and mm-hmm. those things are true Valid. like you know right. that that's true mm-hmm. and I feel like sometimes it's a lot of times people masking their 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 concern, right. quote unquote, about me with with health. And so, like, can you talk a little bit about that? What what do you say to people that are like, but obesity is really an epidemic. Mm-hmm. Obesity is really a thing. Like, what what do you say to that? So I think that my response would really um, depend on who it was that was raising the question. You know, I mean, there's a lot of online concern trolls that like to lurk in fat women's Instagram feeds um, and comment feeds telling us that, you know, you're going to die. Damn. Um, And there's this sense of gleefulness about it. There's this like narrative of, you know, look at this fat person living their life, but haha, they're going to die soon, you know? So I guess my response to them would be nothing because they're blocked. Right. Um, that's so messed up. Okay. Yeah, yeah so you got to be <laughs> yeah. some type of something. Right. <laughs> you know, like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the well-intentioned, you know, um, concern that gets raised. And I guess, you know, depending on what my relationship is to the person, I would ask, you know, if I've been talking and the response in, in your own body has been, you know, one of concern, you know, one of um, fear, I just ask that you kind of like sit with what that feeling is and kind of invite some interrogation of that feeling. Where is that coming from? And what is, what is my reaction to this idea tell me about how I feel about my own body and my relationship to other bodies around me. Because a lot of times when I speak on this, people have very visceral reactions. And I think that's always an interesting invitation opportunity to say, so why is this, why is the first thing you think of, you know, this health question? I do get it because there is this social narrative, right? Um, That fatness is, um, quote-unquote unhealthy and there's just so much there to unpack that's a whole other interview that's a whole whole other discussion um, but I would offer that 
if the concern really is with the health of fat people, then I would say that the major culprit of um, harm towards fat people is not our fatness, but the social, social and medical hatred and stigmatization of our fatness. The fact that anti-fatness in the medical community means that we are so much less likely to get tested for anything mm. because of the bias that's already within the medical community. I mean, there's a significant studies have shown that a significant number of doctors and nurses have uh, bias against fat people, uh, do not want to touch fat patients. Um, wow. Do not want to work with fat patients. They, you know, they have a, so much there's so much in this one study but it was something like who would you least like to have as a patient and it was like a fat patient an alcoholic patient a drug addict patient and the number one answer was we don't want fat patients wow, wow. you know there are weight limits at some uh gynecology uh, uh offices you know that if you're over 200 pounds you can't sign up to become a new patient at certain offices and the excuse is always well our equipment doesn't handle can't handle the weight of someone over 200 pounds you know um there are doctors who refuse to do surgeries on fat patients until they lose weight so if your concern is really with our health and how about starting by addressing the medical discrimination that takes place that causes some how how many fat people have died, not because they were fat, but because they were not believed and not listened to, not welcomed into our communities to say, hey, there's something going on in my body. I need to have care, you know. And then how many of those people were then, it, the assumption is, well, they died because they were fat. They died because the society hates fat people. Um, so I think that rethinking the question is uh, a good place to start and say what's actually causing the harm to fat people is it really the fatness and I, and I would also say um there is just so much out there that is uh invites questioning of this quote-unquote medical consensus that fatness is really this major harm to begin with um and uh, you know i don't want to get into all of that but i mean you can look into it the obesity myth um that's it there's another one by J. Eric Oliver, um, forgetting the name of the, the book, but it's just, there, there's plenty of reason to question this um, so-called, uh, you know, standard of like BMI, for example. That's body mass index, um, yeah. Yeah, that's just, I mean, that was based off of like white men, for one thing. The BMI is already like racially biased, um, for one thing and gender bias. There are so many flaws in this uh, assumption, you know, that if you're gaining weight, there's something that is quote unquote unhealthy about that. It's based off of, I mean, doctors that already have biases against fat people, studies that are, you know, no, don't even include a full range of fat people. So insufficient studies have been done to even we don't even really know what we don't know about fat bodies because science isn't taking, is starting, it's the science is starting from a perspective of bias against fat people to begin with. I really just don't even entertain, honestly, um, the health concern, in addition to the fact that health is not a virtue to begin with. Like that's like number one is health is not a virtue. Everyone is dying. Mm. I am dying. And Whatever that happens and whatever the actual cause is, being at war with my body is not going to be the um, thing that changes that. It's not ever going to change the fact that I am going to die. And so um, living, living my life fully and in an embodied way as a fat person to me um, is the most holistically healthy thing I can do um, that takes into consideration not just my body but my mental health as a whole a whole being spiritual health as a whole being living free from that um, constant battle I think has made me more truly healthy than I've ever been 
Well, I think so. I'm going to say that that is a place where we can really wrap up. Um, yeah. This has been such a rich conversation. I'm still mind blown. Yeah, like I, I mean, I have a lot to look up. I, yes, I just have to like so much. take it in. I definitely want to go back to my friends and talk about it a little yeah. bit. Um, I guess just one last question, Sarah. Um, is there anything that you can leave the real talk on God Talk community with in terms of either clarifying misconceptions or just one? Thing that you want to leave us with when it comes to God, fat liberation, um, how we as a society orient ourselves to fatness, just mm-hmm. anything. I think that the heart of my uh, work really is um, learning how to reconnect with my body because so much of my life, like I've mentioned, it's been a war with my body that has caused me to silence, you know, her messages, not hear what spirit is speaking through her. And I think if anything I would want to leave is just the invitation to believe that fat bodies can speak divine messages. Um, Because when we don't believe that, we're disconnected from the divine work that's already happening within us to begin with. And so for anyone that has um, this ongoing war with your flesh because of what society has told us is uh, a good body, I guess my hope for myself and my hope for, for anyone listening would be to just invite, invite us to stop the war with ourselves and begin a process or continue whatever, wherever we are in the process of learning how to listen to our bodies and and in that way, listen to spirit for the sake of, for the sake of, you know, ourselves and and our communities. You know, I think that this is an integrated problem and the solution has to be integrated as well. Let's listen and and then let's speak what those messages are because um, (laughs) fat people can change the world and are changing the world. And so we can continue to do that by listening and trusting our bodies. Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us today. We really appreciate just every gem you drop yeah. and every, uh-huh. every just, just so much information. Thank you for, um, for bringing this to us and having this conversation with us that needs to be had. Like, I feel like these are combos that need to start going on. I'm interrogating a lot of, a lot of my things. relationship with my body, how yeah. I feel about fatness. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think any of that would have come up probably for either of us unless we start having this conversation. So there's, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Real talk on God talk. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so honored and, um, just blessings on the both of you and on this project. It's a great work that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. To keep the conversation going, tell us what you think by following us on Instagram or Twitter at Real Talk on God Talk. This is Truth, and you're listening to Quality of Life Hack. Keep your apartment clean? Check. Stay hydrated? Check. Get up for work on time every single morning? Check. Life is good, but adulting is hard. So Real Talk on God Talk is here with simple life hacks to help you make it through. This week's problem, networking. Boo! (laughs) Um, A lot of times networking is perceived as awkward. It can be fake, transactional. Like, who wants to just go into a situation and like, where do you stand? Right. Who do you talk to? You know, you get self-conscious. But Real Talk on God Talk is here for you. We're here with three simple adjustments you can make to your approach to networking to see that it's not so bad. Yep. So the first is to set your intention. Go into your networking event with the intention of finding someone to like. A lot of times we enter into situations thinking we hope that people like us, hoping that we're good enough, interesting enough, or even funny enough. Some of y'all not funny. (laughs) (laughs) but we're suggesting you flip the script so before beginning your evening take a few deep breaths and visualize yourself smiling and meeting new and interesting people consciously set the intention to find two people you like at the event who you could potentially have something to offer or help with doing this allows your focus to be less on whether or not people like you 
or can help you with your goals, but rather on opening yourself up and being a blessing in someone else's life. Yeah, that changes the whole perspective. How can I walk into this situation being an instrument of God? Exactly. You know, it's like, how can God use me? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, remember Jesus' parable of the foolish builders? A house built on solid ground will not fall. So before you leave the house, make sure you have the basics down. Hair combed, clothes ironed, a mint just in case, extra swipe of deodorant, and business cards always available. It's hard to focus on making connections when you're thinking about how you look. Take care of that on the front end. Look good, smell good, feel good, and make the night a good night. Mm. We networking or doing something else? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a little bit of both, right? You know Business what I'm and pleasure. Exactly. Okay. You know? okay. <laughs> and last for quality of life hacks and networking, we have for you to remember that God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Right? Yeah, God is yeah good all the time. Wait, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're a mess. Let's see if we keep that in or not. Okay. <laughs> According to Vanessa Van Ness, author of Captivate, The Science of Succeeding with People, starting conversations with questions like, how are you? Or what do you do? Can be instinctual. Like, you know, that's how we all kind of just talk so, to each other. Yeah. But it's also super dry and mm. almost guaranteed to trail off into awkward silence after the first few seconds. Right. You know, it's like, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a bus driver. Exactly. Like, okay. Yeah, and after some that, people what? don't feel comfortable when you ask them, like, how you doing? Right. Like, when they've never met you before. Fine. You know, yeah. Right. Fine. And then what do you say next? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so she suggests that you instead try these conversation sparkers. Get your pens and paper. Right. Try asking questions like... Are you working on anything currently? Mm. Or what's the most exciting thing going on with you right now? Any vacations planned? These type of questions force people to consider the good things happening in their life. Gotcha. Lighting up the dopamine centers, how we access pleasure. And then associating you with the positive feelings is always a good way to start building relationships. Boom. Those are our quality of life hacks for networking. Now go forth and meet some people. Today is Tuesday, October 1st, and you're listening to Keeping Time with Yaya. It's October, and by now, retail stores have probably already started putting out Christmas decorations. But slow down. Everyone knows it's Halloween month. Plus, before then, we have two holidays coming up. The Hindu festival of Dussehra, also known as, I hope I get this pronunciation right, Vijaya Dashimi, which celebrates the victory of good over evil, and the holiest of days on the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, which celebrates the atonement of sins with fasting and prayer. Enjoy, y'all. The holiday season is upon us. Now it's time for the moon reading. The celestial bodies are really moving for the first few weeks of the month. On October 9th, 10th, and 11th, respectively, you can expect the Draconoid, Southern Torrid, and Augurid meteor showers. This series of showers culminates with October 13th's full moon. This is the perfect time to get some night air and make a wish on a shooting star, or stock up on moon water. Moon water is water charged with the energy of the full moon to make moon water. On the eve of the full moon, fill a non-plastic vessel or container with filtered water. Hold the water to your heart, blessing it with love and positivity, and setting your clear intentions on the water. Then, place your vessel down surrounded by herbs and crystals of your choice. For example, rose quartz if you envision love, or black tourmaline for protection. Leave your water to bask in the moonlight overnight. Now you have some charged water to use for rituals, to add to a relaxing or clarifying bath, or even to use to cleanse your crystals. 
Thank you, Yaya. You gave us some, a lot of tips there that we could do with this full moon that's coming upon us. Just supercharged. I know. Crystal. I was like, okay. <laughs> I dig it. Well, thank you everyone for joining us for another uh, episode of Real Talk on God Talk, a podcast for people who skip church for brunch on Sundays. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Real Talk on God Talk. And we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Love y'all. I don't believe in God. I know God. I love me some Jesus. Too much. That's crazy. <laughs> That's on the next episode. It's the moon reading. I rock with you, Yaya. It's all love. They better listen to this advice. We good. You crazy, girl. This is what this show is about, all right? We With keep the it real. real and real talk. The God in God talk. And that's a wrap.